0: I'm jumping in with a quick message that I've added to all HR Coffee Time episodes to let you know that my group programme, Inspiring HR, is back. In case you haven't heard of it before, it's an intensive six week programme for mid and senior level HR and people professionals. So if you're an HR business partner, HR manager, head of HR, or HR director, Or the people equivalent, so a people business partner, people manager, head of people or people director, and you'd like to build your confidence, your credibility and your impact at work, Inspiring HR could be perfect for you. We get started on Wednesday the 5th of June 2024 when we'll be meeting up over Zoom for two hours every week. The group sessions are a blend of group coaching, training and facilitation. They're supportive, encouraging and practical and each week has a slightly different focus. So in week one we look at setting yourself up for success. Week two is about boosting your confidence. Week three focuses on being strategic in your role. Week four is all about building key relationships. Week five takes a deep dive into influencing at a senior level and the final week looks at planning for the future. There's a link with the full details in the show notes for you or you can learn more by going to my website Bright Sky Career Coaching, clicking on services and then clicking on Inspiring HR Group Programme. I would love to have you join us and to get to know you throughout the programme. But if you have any questions about inspiring HR at all, please feel free to ask by getting in touch through the website, and I would be very happy to answer them for you. Welcome back to HR Coffee Time with me, your host, Faye Wallace, a career coach with a background in HR and the founder of Bright Sky Career Coaching. This podcast is especially for you to help you have a successful and fulfilling HR career without working yourself into the ground. And unsurprisingly, as I am a coach, I think that coaching skills are a good thing to have but they aren't just good for professional coaches. I think they're helpful for anyone who has a job where they have to interact with other people regularly. And I think this is especially true for HR and people professionals like you. Coaching skills are just a fantastic thing to have in your personal toolkit to help you thrive at work and get the results you're looking for. So whether you've already been thinking about developing coaching skills or you've never really thought about this before, I hope you're going to enjoy today's episode and find it interesting. I invited coach trainer Charlie Wachowski from Love Your Coaching onto the show to explain what coaching skills are, why they can help your HR career, how to develop them and how to choose a coach training provider if you decide to take the plunge and do some coach training. But before I dive into the episode, I'd like to quickly say thank you to Daniel for the HR Coffee Time review you wrote on Apple Podcasts last week. I really appreciate it, and I'm so pleased to hear that you've been enjoying the podcast. I know that you're looking to transition into an HR role at the moment, and I promise I have some episodes coming up specifically about this, about transitioning into HR, so I hope they're going to be helpful. If you also enjoy listening to HR Coffee Time, I'd love it if, like Daniel, you'd be happy to rate and review the podcast for me in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, because ratings and reviews make a big difference in encouraging Apple and Spotify to recommend the show to listeners who may not have come across it before. I'd love to help as many people in the HR and people profession as I can through this free podcast. So if you do go ahead and review HR Coffee Time for me, please do let me know so I can say thank you. But now I think it's time for us to meet Charlie and crack on with the main part of the show. Welcome to the show, Charlie. It's wonderful to have you here. And could I ask you to start by just sharing a little bit about your background and the work that you do? Yes,
1: thank you. Thank you, Faye, for inviting me. So so I do two things. Um, one is that I coach people. Mostly I coach school leaders and head teachers, and I've, be, I've been doing that. I've, I've got a background in education and I've been working with school leaders, coaching them on all the challenges that they had for the last 15 years or so. Then the other thing I do is I support coaches. So I run a training company called Love Your Coaching. And what we do, we're an Institute of Leadership and Management Centre. So we offer coaching qualifications at a beginning, intermediate and very advanced level. And then I also, I mentor coaches to other qualifications and I'm a coaching supervisor. So I So I supervise coaches one to one. So I'm about two things, developing and supporting leaders in education by coaching them and developing and supporting coaches by helping them professionalise and become really, really good coaches.
0: Brilliant, thank you for that excellent introduction. And then before we get stuck into exploring why coaching skills can help your HR career and how to develop them, I thought it would be really useful to just start by explaining what coaching skills are Because coaching gets talked about all the time, but actually we're not always clear on exactly what it is. And I remember when I very first called you many years ago now, when I was thinking about training as a coach, you helped me realize straight away that I actually didn't have a good understanding of what coaching was. I had it completely mixed up with mentoring. I remember saying to you oh I coach all the time in my HR role I do this and this and this and you very gently pointed out that actually that wasn't coaching at all I was just telling people (laughs) what I thought they should do which is mentoring so would it be okay if you just to run us through exactly what coaching skills are?
1: So it's it's a very common misconception uh, and often when people when they ask me what I do and I say I'm a coach, they say, What do you coach in? Or what sport do you coach? Or oh yes, I coach a lot, and then it does turn out that they mentor more than they coach. I, I see that. So coaching, the way that we understand coaching, and it is a, an evolving profession, it's the idea that a an individual, whether they're in their personal or professional lives, have challenges or have opportunities that they want to talk through and work out their own solution and what the coach does is it creates a time and the space and asks helpful questions to let the that person come to their own conclusions and often it's a conclusion that's buried either a little bit or quite a long way below the surface and the time and the space and the, the careful listening lets the coachee uh, have these solutions bubble up and emerge. Coaches do choose to not give advice coaches do choose to let the other person come to their own conclusions unless there's an emergency so please HR managers if you find that you're coaching someone and and they're breaching serious regulations you just press pause and say look I need to tell you you can't do x or y that's what coaching is And it's a skill that is very, very learnable and it's a skill that is very, very lined up with other skills that leaders have, that colleagues have, that parents have. So it's very, very learnable. Mentoring has got lots of different flavours. Mentoring, yes, often comes from experience and advice, but there are lots and lots and lots of coaching styles of mentor. So you can mentor in this gentle, fluid way of of asking lots of questions, seeing what their ideas are and then topping up their ideas with a little nudge of your own. Or you can mentor in what I'd call an old school traditional way which is going to be much more um, do it my way, do it this way, this is the way it's always worked so you should do it. So coaching and mentoring do have very distinct differences but there can be a bit of an overlap in skills approaches.
0: When I decided to do my coach training with you, I actually chose a qualification that was in executive coaching and mentoring, because as a career coach, I think a lot of the time I would be doing people a disservice if there was no advice mixed in there at all. So for me, I probably operate as a bit of a blend between the two when it comes to coaching and mentoring, but I predominantly take a coaching approach. Yes. Yeah,
1: and, and that's that's been really wonderful to see your growth and your development in that, in that way. And I think in some ways, career coaches are fortunate because you can really ring fence those two things. You can really say, I'm, I'm gonna coach you today and we're gonna work through your beliefs, your worries, your fears, your goals, your aspirations. And that's coaching. And then on another day, we can do the interview prep. And you, you've you done CV reviews for me. And that was very mentoring in style. <laughs> very much, I'll listen. But I'm then going to give you my experience and my advice and my guidance. And lots of professionals have that. Lots of professionals can coach on a Monday on the topic for your coachee. And mentor on a, choose, on a Tuesday on the technical knowledge they need to know. And those two, so long as we keep them separate, they work really well in harmony.
0: I think that's going to be really reassuring for anyone listening who is thinking of potentially doing a coaching qualification to help them in their HR role. Because, of course, as an HR professional, it's going to be almost impossible to ever say, I'm not going to give you advice, (laughs) because it is such a big part of your role. And actually, now that I'm touching on that, and now that we've got a little bit well, hopefully a lot clearer on what coaching is, it would be great to hear from you why you think coaching skills can be so helpful to have if you work in HR. So that would be both for anyone listening for themselves as an HR practitioner, how it's going to help them personally, but also how it can be beneficial as an entire HR department.
1: Okay, great, thank you for that. Well, I'll take those two questions separately and and give you a couple of answers.
0: As an HR professional,
1: Firstly, if if HR professionals don't lead on coaching, who is going to within the organisation? We have trained people who, who are in finance or in admin or marketing or whatever who pop up and want to coach. You had a couple in your cohort, in fact, of 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 coaches mm. learning but mostly it's people in the people section of the organization who who need to be good coaches and they need to lead on it i think that hr professionals benefit from being coaches because they often have to deal with people who are either in that growth aspiration phase and really want to do well and need the nudge and the support and the space or they're dealing with people who are are challenged and are struggling and are underperforming and coaching can be incredibly useful to help get them up to the mark it's not the only way we don't want to just do deficit coaching but that can definitely definitely be helpful i think that hr professionals can coach in two different ways you can coach in that really relatively formal way where you agree you've got regular coaching clients who come to see you you either lock into a room or you have a nice walk around the park and you coach them one-to-one Or you do what's called spot coaching, you know, that someone comes with a problem and rather than busily looking up the regulation and giving them direct advice straight away, you sit down with them and you give them 10 minutes of your coaching time and you ask, what is this issue and what's the problem and what's the obstacle from solving it and what ideas have you got and so on. And you hold back from giving advice unless it's really necessary. So I think it's really useful in the day-to-day running of of uh, your role as an HR professional and I was sharing with you earlier a, a friend of mine runs a, an HR recruitment company who tells me that that almost every job he gets advertised at a senior level they are looking for coaching qualifications so it's really important and really helpful for people who apply for those jobs to know that they've got a coaching qualification because they're likely to get that role if they don't have it then they may miss out on that so the, the final piece, I think, is that as an HR professional, having a coaching qualification can really help with your career growth.
0: Thank you, Charlie. I just want to quickly add in a couple of mm. things there that started occurring to me while you were talking. It's interesting to hear what your friend, who's the HR recruiter, said about a lot of senior roles actually asking for a coaching qualification. Aside from the fact that that's his experience, I think from a practical point of view, When you are in a senior leadership role as an HR professional it is so incredibly helpful to have that qualification because I think it can take a lot of the pressure off when it comes to interacting with the senior team because often there can be a bit of a nervousness like when you're in those board level meetings for the very first time and thinking I'm not going to know all the answers I'm not going to know everything and actually being able to take a coaching approach and being able to use your coaching skills helps you realise that you don't need to have all the answers to everything. In fact, there's this huge power in being able to ask questions and facilitate discussions that can come up with a collective answer to big, important or heavy questions. And if the CEO or the COO or, or whoever the senior leaders are start looking to you for help and support, because Those roles can be very lonely, it often is the HR director or people director or head of HR they will hopefully feel they can turn to for some support to talk to about issues they may be experiencing that don't even necessarily have an HR focus. If you've got those coaching skills you can be such a great sounding board for them and to help them feel less alone which just adds enormous value to your role and the work that you do. Yeah.
1: I I agree. I think and you're right, you're extending what I said, the idea that you can sit at the meetings and have your coaching hat on so you don't feel the panic. But also, yeah, that you can offer coaching to whomsoever. It might not just be for your reports, the idea that you are part of a senior team and you become the trusted professional friend who people will listen to. I think that's that's a wonderful, wonderful way of seeing that. So it's really rich and I think the if we value coaches within the organisation then it's got an incredibly important role to play
0: yeah and you know if you're listening and actually you're thinking well I'm nowhere near being in that senior role so do I do I need to worry about this does this really apply to me building on your point about what you said about actually if anyone's having a difficult time or wants to progress and they come to you for support I know that At lots of levels in your HR role one thing that can be a huge challenge is having line managers come to you for support all the time and they want you to do the work for them and it can be a point of real frustration. I know so many people say to me why don't they just do it themselves you know why do they keep asking me to do these things and partly that might be down to being new in the role or a lack of awareness about maybe how to handle a particular conversation, but often it's down to confidence. Yeah. And so that person will just be feeling out of their depth or they're scared to deliver yeah. bad news to people who report into them. So again, being able to use those coaching skills, it, it can help address the root problem instead of just saying well you need to say this or you need to tell them that or here's a letter to give them or you know all, the, all those very directive things by actually asking them some questions and just listening to them carefully you can help them to realise what is it that they're really worrying about with these conversations and how can they build up their confidence so that they can operate independently and they don't need to lean on you quite so heavily. So. Hopefully that's reassuring for anyone who's listening, thinking, well, I don't know if I ever want to be an HR leader and I'm miles off of that. So I just hope that that's going to help them realise it's relevant for them. too.
1: absolutely. And I think that that builds on the the second part of that question you asked earlier, which is the benefit for the organisation. And you're absolutely right that HR people sometimes feel a bit dumped upon, a bit like managers who are in their role, who don't feel that they have the people skills to deal with their challenging colleagues it all gets pushed up the line to HR. Well, I I think that, yes, definitely coaching these managers to help them solve their own problems is a big thing. I think that there's a couple of other really big wins that we can look at. One is that uh, if... If HR managers, HR leaders, HR business partners are all coaching regularly, then there's some fantastic role modeling. That idea of actually, this is how we go about things around here. What we do is when we work with our teams, we're not we're less directive and we're more coaching in our style. And we set that as a default. I mean, the, the, we, we do read the language a lot of about coaching cultures. And I think they need to be created deliberately. They need to be put work in on them to make them happen and I think HR will lead on that. Um, the second I think really big win and this is something we've been working on for about a decade now is uh, transforming the performance management appraisal system to make it coaching in style. You know, that it's it's almost universally unloved and um, please if you love your uh, appraisal system write to me don't write to Faye um, but I, I, I find that lots and lots and lots of organisations don't like them Big companies like Dell and Amazon are busy bidding them off um, we don't think that they should be binned off because often they don't get replaced with anything good. What we think is that if you train all of the appraisers, all the line managers to have enough coaching skills to be able to appraise with a coaching style still with a bit of direct input and a bit of challenge but with predominantly a coaching style then you're more likely to have people who love the appraisal system and that the appraisal system will lead to performance growth and organisational growth. We've been doing it for a decade, we've done it in about 400 different schools and we see real value into this approach and I think on its own a coaching approach to appraisals can transform both leadership, uh, culture and And performance. So I'm a a big fan of taking coaching from HR into that bit of the system.
0: Now hopefully after hearing all your passion and enthusiasm when it comes to the importance of having coaching skills it will have led anyone listening to think oh right okay I need to start thinking about this then. And if that's the case then what are some of your tips, what's some of your advice for them as to how they can go about developing coaching skills?
1: So, before you even think about signing up for hours or someone else's course, hours preferably, um, there are three things I think you can do. The first is when you have a good understanding of what coaching skills are, review what your coaching skills are like already. And although they are learnable, we they are also not outside of good people skills. So if you are a leader, if you're a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister, a parent, a neighbour, you work in the community, you're likely to have these good skills of questioning, of listening, of holding the space, of appropriate but not ruinous empathy. Those skills are going to be there. So check in. Maybe ask some people, you know, what am I like when I'm with you? And find out what your coaching skills are already like. Have a chat with a coach. I know hundreds of coaches, thousands in fact, and I'm sure you know many hundreds as well, Faye. Talk to a coach, find out what it's like being a coach. And probably the most important is to get some coaching experience, be a coachee. One of the things we've introduced in the last couple of years in, in all of our coach training programs is a requirement for you to have some coaching before you come on the course or in the very early days. Because if you know what it's like to be a coachee, you see the benefits and, and you might see what you like and what you like less. And then you can see, well, is this something for me? Would I like to be the, on the other side of the table? Would I like to be, would I like to enjoy working in this way? They, they would be the first things that I would do before you even go anywhere near a book or a qualification.
0: I don't want to now give you loads of work to do, Charlie. But as you were speaking, I was thinking, yeah, this is all absolutely fantastic advice. But the point that you made around assessing your own coaching skills, there were a few things you just mentioned. So you mentioned questioning, listening, holding the space, appropriate, but not ruinous empathy. So it would be great if we could just have a little bit more information about those. So if someone is listening, they really can go away and take that practical step and think, okay, well, how do I know how good I am at questioning? how do I know how good I am at listening? What are some great tips you have around how they could assess their questioning skills for example?
1: So if if we take questioning, take those two two ones of questioning and listening which are probably the things that you know we really lead on. If we think about how many questions we ask, teachers ask 400 questions a day, as parents we ask a thousand questions a day, mostly why did you do that? Uh, We ask many 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 questions and I think What you can do is start reflecting on the quality of our questions and we can tell if our questions are any good because we get interesting replies like oh I didn't think about that or we get a big long flow. So we we start to develop some rules of thumb about our questions. Are they simple? Are they understandable? Uh, Do people not ask us to repeat them because they're too complicated? We've kept them nice and really clean and crisp. Um, Are they singular Well, one of the classic things is, and I did this when I was first coaching, you ask this question and then you ask it again in a slightly different way and then a third version of it just to make sure that they really don't understand it. So simple, singular, clear. Do they come from a place of curiosity? You know, is it an I was wondering type of question rather than a what's wrong with you type of question from that non-judgmental place? If we could follow a few of those those sort of standard rules then it means that our questions are likely to be strong but i think we can trust the fact that we have probably asked thousands and thousands of questions in our lives Um, most importantly are they focused on the other person do they get them to do their thinking that would be questioning and as you know from the training in every one of our six days we had new questioning activities there's lots of tools and techniques and approaches to advancing your questioning but but that would be the start um, listening, um, I think that uh, lots of people write about listening, you you read about these three levels of listening or four modalities of listening. The idea is that we don't have to show that we're listening, we don't have to be nodding like the or dog, uh, but what we do need to do is to master our mind. So in sort of classic Buddhist and mindfulness talking, that whole notice, interrupting thoughts and letting them go rather than getting hooked by them. The, the classic expression of we are listening to understand rather than we're listening to respond. We're not sitting there waiting for our turn, that we feel calm, we feel unhurried. If we get stimulus um, from our own thoughts, from what they say, we don't really respond to them. We, we remain curious. Uh, I would suggest that advanced listening is the thing, that's a, that's a lifelong bit of work. Uh, be confident that we've already got some very good listening skills and there's times we're probably doing it well you know perhaps when we're sitting with a dear friend or someone who's struggling or with a a parent or a grandparent and there's lots of times when we all get distracted and we all we all sort of lose our focus one of my children their favorite thing to say to me is dad you're not listening
0: and you're meant to be a coach they really enjoy that (laughs) can always rely on our children to bring us back down to earth (laughs) brilliant so we've looked at questioning Listening, as far as appropriate, not ruinous empathy, I'd recommend anyone who wants to be able to dig a bit more into that. I have other episodes that I've released that would be really helpful to listen to. So, there was an episode with Michelle Smith, which I think was episode 48, which was actually all about bereavement. So, supporting colleagues in the workplace who are bereaved. And in it, she really explained so helpfully the difference between sympathy and empathy and had some helpful advice Mm. really helpful advice that I've implemented immediately and keep on trying to work on to build your responses so that they are empathetic rather than sympathetic and there was an earlier episode as well I'm just looking at my phone now to see if I can find exactly what number it was here we go it was actually around redundancy. It was called Redundancy, Why Losing a Job Feels So Hard and How to Help with my guest Emma Holmes. And again, she taught at length about the difference between sympathy and empathy and responding appropriately when you're supporting someone so as far as that skill is concerned if you're listening and thinking "Ooh, I I want to have a go at this to start thinking about how strong my skills are here then please do go back and listen to those episodes I think you'll find them really helpful
1: yeah Uh, and that's great and it's really good to really think about that because I think it is a worry for lots of new coaches what do I say if they present a big issue? What do I say if they they cry? What do I do if they present these big emotions? And the idea is not that we become cold, heartless fish and say we're not allowed to express. You know, we're, we're humans and, and we respond in a human way. And there's a careful balance between that and then us taking over and us preventing them from having those feelings. I remember someone that I've I've trained relatively recently, she turned up on, at the beginning of coach training, uh, and she'd been bereaved quite recently. Her mama died in the last couple of weeks, and she said she hadn't managed to have one single conversation about her mum passing without someone gatecrashing, you know, and saying, oh, yeah, well, when my mum died or when my dad died or when the dog died or mm-hmm. whatever. So actually, that, that belief that we're sharing our common experience as a way of shared humanity, sometimes that's not what people need. They need the space. Mm-hmm. They need to be able to talk it through to feel it, yeah. So I think... Redundancy and bereavement, I think that they're, they're really two big spike areas and as coaches we can learn a lot from how professionals in those roads work.
0: Yeah I was really grateful to have them yeah. both on the show, even though I've obviously been doing outplacement work for years now, I learned so mm. much from having them on and hopefully everyone who was listening learned a lot too. And then the final thing you said for that could be helpful for assessing your coaching skills or developing your coaching skills is around being able to hold the space mm. could you just talk a little bit more about that
1: yeah i, I mean space is a strange old word i, I think the idea that uh that it, firstly it feels psychologically safe so the real basics of no interruptions and and some contracting that says there's no judgment here and i'm not, not going to take over to your earlier point about mentoring if the coachy understands fully that we're not going to gate crash their thinking by advice or suggestions or judgments or leading questions then they're more likely to talk through and they're more likely just to be in a flow. So they know they're not feeling judged. Secondly, I think the the idea that we are unhurried, that we're definitely not going to interrupt them. The great Nancy Klein has just written a book called The Promise I Will Not Break, which is a promise to not interrupt. If, if we think about in our lives how often we do get interrupted, how often someone finishes our sentence or elaborates our thoughts or takes over or changes the subject, if we can say in that coaching hour, that's not going to happen. You know, they will finish their thoughts and even after they've finished their thoughts, we still will sit there silent and we will wait and they might have another thought or they might tell us after 10 seconds, no, okay, I'm done and then we ask another question. So I, I would suggest that A combination of some sharp, nice, helpful, non-judgmental questions, some really careful listening and creating this very centred other person, other person favoured space. So three things together are likely to make someone feel so relaxed and to really value what is going to be the hour of their week
0: that's incredibly helpful. Thank you for letting me dig down a little bit deeper into all of those things. And I guess that brings me on to the next question, which is, okay, so if someone has gone and followed your advice, they've had some coaching themselves, so they get to really appreciate exactly what's involved and understand and got a feel for it. Is that something that they want to learn more about? They started trying to work on these skills and they've done a little bit of self-assessment and they think, right, that's it. I definitely want to do a coaching qualification. What advice do you have for them on how to choose the right qualification for them? I I know for me this took me ages <laughs> to settle on. Oh, which is the right one because there is a lot of choice.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and and yours is a very common experience. Most people who who call our inquiry line and ask about coaching qualifications are already befuddled. There, there. Like, I've been looking for days, I've read this, I've read that, I don't know what's going on. It's all very confusing. So I've written a short paper, which I'll share with you, that maps out the different qualifications that are available in the UK. And and they do really range from the non-qualification courses, you know, the free weekends and the webinars and all that, through to a 10 grand course at Ashridge or Hull Business School. So you, you can pick different places along the line. We have chosen the Institute of Leadership and Management for a number of reasons. That's the qualifications that we offer, that's the qualification that you hold, for a number of reasons. One, because they're at different levels we can do a level three for very very new probably people in their twenties if we could remember that first into leadership type of thing a level five that are people who are experienced leaders but they've never coached or a level seven for people like you who already have coaching skills who are ready to push on and advance because they're practical, you learn skills, you get assessed, you're coaching at an advanced level, but they're also a bit theoretical, which means that you do do some writing. You may remember the essay or three you had to, had to produce. So it means that that writing helps you focus on doing the, the background learning. It then gives you the opportunity to write about it and it really helps for your ongoing career and perhaps if you're developing strategies and pro- processes and so on. So I think it's a really good combination of of both coaching skills and a bit of theory. Um, the training that we offer obviously we make it completely practical we don't we don't get busy sharing slides and, and making it very very theoretically based uh, and we do see people coming out at this qualification at a really really advanced highly skilled level. If you think about the six of you on that the course that you are they're incredibly skilled by the time you finished and, and actually you're all out there pretty well running your own coaching businesses and, and thriving with coaching. The other thing about the ILM that's really important for HR is it sits very very well in the UK community as credible so things like in the NHS their approved coaches list you have to have an ILM qualification for a CRPD there's an accreditation along with them they are they are very very strong. Most local authorities when they train they look for ILM qualifications. So I think it's it's very very useful and it works really really well. So I would encourage people to look at ILM qualifications.
0: Okay so ILM is clearly your favourite and still one that you train around. The other thing to mention is that it can also be a pathway into getting your coach accreditation through one of the main coaching bodies so this is another thing that i just found (laughs) mystifying when i first became a coach and that was the fact that there are different coaching bodies and there are different kinds of accreditation Mm. that you can have so it's not essential that you get accredited as a coach at all but if you're thinking actually do you know what Although I love working in HR, I think I would like to now start working on my coaching skills in my current role, get my coaching qualification with a view to potentially just working as a coach. And I've coached people who've wanted to do that on my career change coaching programme, actually. One of my most recent people... She had a very successful HR career, but she kept getting this idea that she was interested in potentially maybe being a coach, and so that's eventually what she's decided to do and take the plunge. So if that is the case, then it can be helpful to have that accreditation. I'll just quickly, for anyone listening who's not sure about this, talk through the main coaching bodies where you can get accredited Mm. so there's the ICF which seems to have become the most well-known one and the one where the majority of coaches who I know seem to get accredited with that stands for International Coach Federation and I know that your ILM qualification the one I did with you level seven puts you on the path to be able to then apply for accreditation with them
1: it does yes
0: then there's also the Association for Coaching. So the very first coaching qualification I did, which was for career coaching, that would have enabled me to go down the Association for Coaching Accreditation route. And then there's also the EMCC, which I always forget what that stands for. Is it the European Mentoring Coaching Counselling or something? It actually is, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if I've got that yeah, right. Yeah. So again, just for anyone listening who's thinking okay I think I do want to do a qualification I just wanted to try and take some of the mystery out of that so that if you are looking at different options and trying to choose you can think oh okay does this coach training lead on to accreditation if that's what I want to do and again being a member of one of those bodies can be a good idea just for your continuous professional developments as well because they tend to run all sorts of webinars and mini courses and things that are great top ups yes. to your foundational coach training that you would have done.
1: Well, right, and thank you for that. It's, it's a really good and clear explanation. And, and the re- I think the reason we see all of those professional bodies as like the second stage is because of the number of hours required for their first qualification. So the ILM level seven asks you to do 20 hours of coach tra- coaching to get this qualification. Which is not very many, we, we, we triple that by making sure that you do an hour planning and also an hour review, so it's like each session gets triple value. Um, the ICF, EMCC and AC all ask for 100 hours. And so when we're training head teachers and HR directors to find a hundred hours of your time, which is really three hundred hours of coaching to get a first qualification, feels too onerous. It's like signing up for another degree, really. So I think they're wonderful qualifications. You, you and I both hold them. I think that they are they are hugely pa- powerful, beneficial, but they are a bit coaching specialist industry, and they definitely feel like the second phase.
0: That's really helpful. Insight and as we are drawing to the end of our time together today, you know that I'm about to ask you the question I ask all of my guests, which is what is your top nonfiction book recommendation that you're going to share with us today?
1: That's probably the hardest question when you sent me the list of questions. I was like, oh, God, how am I gonna pick one from the many many many? Um, so I've got three if that's right. Uh, so two Two relating to work and one one relating to the world. So So, Thinking Fast and Slow, I think, is my favourite non-coaching book that I've read in the last 10 years. Written by uh, Daniel Kahneman. He won the Nobel Prize in Economics, but he's a behavioural psychologist. And it really made me understand the fast and slow thinking systems. It was one of those books, four pages a day for about six months. It took me forever to read it, and I'm still writing up notes from it. It's really good. So, So that was one. Time to Think by Nancy Klein. This is the transformative book that lets us stop talking and start listening. Uh, I read it when I was already an experienced coach and and it blew my mind. It was incredibly, incredibly useful. So I'd recommend that for anyone, whether you want to be a coach or not, it would just help you become a better listener. And then from a bit of an understanding of the world, a book that really Open my eyes is called Factfulness by Hans Rosling. If you don't want to read the book, watch his TED talk. Incredible book, just a realigning of how the data about how the world is not in such a bad shape as we thought it was. This strap line is the world is bad, but getting better. It acknowledges through data how we have made progress these last few hundred years. Um, they would be my three.
0: Thank you very much for sharing them. And I will make sure that I put links to all of them in the show notes along with the paper that you very kindly said that you would share which explains all of the different coaching qualifications Mm. so people can refer back to that as well and for anyone listening who is actually thinking of becoming a career coach I wrote a whole article ages ago on how to become a career coach because I used to get contacted about that so often Mm. and I would send these essay length emails back to people that in the end I thought I'll just write down everything that I know and then i can easily send that out so although the focus of our time together today hasn't specifically been around career coaching i know that some people may be interested in that so that wraps everything up all i have left to do is to say a huge thank you to you charlie it's been lovely to see you and to catch up and to have you share all of your wealth of expertise and knowledge with the hr coffee time audience for anyone listening who would love to get in touch with you or learn more about your work, can you just quickly tell us before you say goodbye what the best way is of them doing that? So,
1: so the easiest thing is to either go onto our website loveyourcoaching.com or email me charlie at loveyourcoaching.com and I'll happily respond. Our, our contact details are on the website as well. There's lots of information, lots of flyers. We've got lots of people you can talk to who've done our courses, like you, who has talked to many of our perspectives. <laughs> clients thank you for having me on I've, I've really i from when you first started talking to me about this i knew how professional this was going to be and how organized and i've, I've listened to some of the episodes that's fab so it's, it's been a real delight we work with so many people in hr and and this coaching thing can make such a huge difference so thank you for inviting me to chat about it
0: you are so welcome <laughs> That brings us to the end of this episode and I'd love to know what you think. Has it made you consider developing your coaching skills or is there a different skill set you'd like to prioritise working on instead? If there is a different skill set I'd love to know what it is to see if I should cover that on the podcast as well. You can always reach me to let me know through LinkedIn or by dropping me an email at hello at brightskycareercoaching.co.uk Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. Have a wonderful week and I will be back again next Friday.